Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. kind of the unenviable uh, task of preaching about conflict in relationships. Now, let me give you the good news and the bad news. Uh, You know, the bad news is, for many of you, you don't have any conflict in your life right now, and you're going to be bored for the next 30 or 40 minutes, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, But the good news is, uh, you will be in conflict pretty soon. (laughs) It won't take that long. These, these happy times, they don't last forever, so cheer up. Maybe you could take notes for later when you actually have some conflict. And uh, I'm going to sort of couch a lot of my thoughts in, in kind of the context of marriage and some for singles as well. I think I have a word for singles today, and I can't wait to, can't wait, wait to release that. But the principles I'm going to share, because we get in conflict with people, not just in marriage, but with our children, sometimes with our parents, uh, sometimes with people at school or at work, people that are, who you know go to the gym with, or or maybe just neighbors, you know, conflict can happen in the workplace. There's conflict can happen everywhere. So listen for the principles and apply it to the areas where you feel like you might have conflict. But to go back to just kind of applying it in a marital situation, let's look at what it's like when when one of the marital partners doesn't understand the importance of an issue to another marital partner. And it, it sounds like a small thing to one of them. In fact, it feels like just silliness. But the other one, it's really important. And it, it starts small, but then it escalates. Let's take a look at the video right here. Watching you stir. Then I will stop. What, are you still mad at me? Yes, you have to apologize for making fun of my culture, my beliefs, my chunchullo, my abuela. I'm sorry. If you think your grandmother's here with us, I respect that. Now, come here. Oh, Grandma, where'd you come from? Hey, we're going to have to get you a little bell. Enough, Jay. My culture is very important to me. I've been working all day to share it with your family tonight, and all you do is mock me. Just go. Honey, I'm sorry. I'm just teasing you. Instead of being the comedian, why don't you help me? What do you need? Slap the chicken. Do what? In Colombia, when you cook in honor of the departed, you have to scare death away from the food to protect the people that are going to eat it. Slap it and yell. That's the nuttiest? Yay. Calm down. Give me the chicken. Here we go. That's not scaring anything away. When my grandfather used to cook, the whole house would shake. all that up. That's not a real custom in Colombia. We're not lunatics. But you mess with us, and we mess with you. That's the custom. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it works. You mess with us, we're going to mess with you. That's that's the problem with conflict, is it has a way of escalating. The Bible says it's better, uh, better a dry crust eaten in peace 
than a house filled with feasting if there's a lot of conflict. And a lot of us have experienced that. So as I take this on, I, I want to give you kind of a tone uh, that, I, that I come at this. Um, I was reading uh, just recently in, uh, in the book of uh, Isaiah out of the message. In the first three chapters, uh, especially as you read in the message, it, it, Isaiah is, and, and the Lord through Isaiah is chastising the people of Israel because though they are the people of God, uh, their nation, it, really it sounds like it's right out of the he headlines of what's going on in America. Division and, and, and uh, all kinds of just evil things happening at the highest levels. And it just sounds like something you'd watch on TV every night or read it in the newspaper. And, and it, you know, just sort of, you can tell God's heart is heavy that his people are not getting the very best. And as I was reading this, this one little phrase in, out of the message translation jumped out at me. And I want to read it to you because it's the tone I want to set today as I kind of talk about conflict. He says, come family of Jacob, let's live in the light of God. Now, that, that might not speak to anybody, so let me, let me explain. Jacob is uh, the name for, for Israel. In fact, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he became this whole nation. So when he says, come, family of Jacob, he's saying, it, 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 because they were the only uh, believers in Jehovah at that time, it'd be like God saying to us today, uh, come, family of believers. Come, family of faith. Come, church. Let's live in the light of God. Let's live our lives, even when we're in conflict and difficulty in the world, knowing that God is alive, and in light of that, let's live differently and behave differently even when we're stressed because of the conflicts. And the reason I want to say that, there's a couple of, thi a couple of things that I am, that I think I am, and, and it's how I live my life. Uh, one, I, I'm primarily a pastor, and a pastor has two, two elements. One is, is teaching, but one is just uh, caring and uh, kind of like a shepherd with sheep, trying to protect, trying to help those under our care live the best and fullest life possible. And uh, as I talk about conflict, uh, I'll reference my own life and some of the conflicts that I've had in my life and in my marriage. And um, I don't want to bore you with those, but I also, I just want to say this. I know what it's like to be trapped in despair because you don't know if your marriage is ever going to be what you wanted it, dreamed it would be. And I've had so many people tell me, uh, I never, you know, raised in church and then later tell me, uh, you know, I never thought my life would turn out like this. So a part of what I want to do today is actually give you some handles on actually addressing the issues that chafe at you, where you've either not handled conflict correctly or the conflict is boiled out of control and it feels like it's all about something else, but it feels terrible and you feel trapped because I've been there and, and uh, just hopeless. And, and I want you to know that we're never really hopeless when we do it God's way. So I'll give you a few principles because I want you to live a full and abundant life. But I also want to point you to God because sometimes when you get principles out of the Bible about how to live better or, or work around, it sounds kind of like self-help. And I want you to know, I, I don't think there's enough self-help for the really serious conflicts that we're in. We need supernatural help. And I want to point you to Jesus because only he can fix some of the situations that you either are in or will be in, in terms of relational conflict. So it, 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 with that kind of as a backdrop, that's the tone I want to come at you with. Here's the verse out of the, kind of the, would say that maybe the whole thing. It says, pride leads to conflict. Can I get an amen? amen? 
Thank you. Hey, that's the alive group I, he I heard about. That's good. Keep, keep that coming. Pride leads to conflict. I think we've all experienced that. But those who take advice are what? They're just wise. And so I'm hoping that you'll take something from today that you could really use. Because that's where wise people come from. They don't have to make all their own mistakes. They listen to the mistakes of others, take notes, and dodge those kind of holes. So in, uh, let me give you an idea. of what, what happens in conflict is that it can start small, but if you don't resolve the original issue from which it comes, it will blow up on you and get bigger. In fact, let me, let me just say it this way. I have some, on, or in your notes, I wrote it this way. Conflict in relationships is predictable and it's painful. But I'm not worried about you being in conflict because that's going to come from now till, till Jesus comes. But unresolved conflict, that's, what, that's the problem. Conflict that happens where we don't resolve the original issues, and they have these residual, it has residual value emotionally, relationally, and, and even uh, sometimes financially and every other way. Unresolved conflict separates us, and then it escalates and can get bigger than what the original conflict was. In, uh, in his book, and I think later made into a movie, uh, Love in the Time of Cholera, Nobel laureate Gabriel Garcia Marquez portrayed a marriage that disintegrated over a bar of soap. Now, in, in, it sounds humorous, but it's not funny. It, it, it was, it's very well presented as the kind of thing that happens to real couples. Uh, he, he, he says that it was the wife's job in those days to keep the house in order, including towels, toilet paper, and soap in the bathroom. And one day she forgot to replace the soap. Her husband exaggerated the oversight and with anger, he expresses, I've been bathing for almost a week with no soap. And she vigorously denied forgetting to replace the soap, although she had indeed forgotten her pride was at stake, and she would not back down. So soap, a bar of soap. For the next seven months, they slept in separate rooms, and they ate in silence. For seven months over a fight about did you replace the soap? And their marriage suffered a meltdown. The author says it this way, this quoting, Even when they were old and placid, they were careful about bringing this up. For the barely healed wounds could begin to bleed again as if they had been inflicted only yesterday. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So it's the unresolved issues where we dig in and they lead to pride and then it gets worse and the whole thing just sort of disintegrates. So how can, what are some things that could be a benefit, at least have been to benefit to me, I find in the Bible and I pass on to you? Number one, peace comes when we resolve core issues. Peace comes when we resolve core issues. And what I want to say by this is there's, there are people who want to live with peaceful feelings but the reason they, they hold that feeling peaceful uh, above all else, they just want peace, they just want it to be peace, so they don't resolve the core issues. And you cannot have the true peace that you want if you're not willing to take on the kind of conflicts that are going to come up. Now, let's go over some things. Why are conflicts so inevitable? Well, for, because you're all created in God's image. And in God's image, he has given you one of the things that, that he, that, you know, this is a godlike trait, is you get to choose your path and you get to dig in and try to get everybody else to do it your way. And the truth is we now have, you know, seven billion different opinions on the planet. 
So even though you will marry someone, and on your honeymoon you think, oh, we'll never have any problems. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before this one has something they really care about, and this one has something that they care about, but it's different, and the two clash. Now, clashing, fighting, and, and maybe fighting is the wrong word, but I want to talk about good fights and bad fights. But actually working through and resolving conflicts is critical. You see, if you don't do that, what you do then is you start tiptoeing around each other. And you have an increasing number of issues that you're afraid to bring up or will blow this, the, the lid off to kind of semi-peace. But if you have this semi-peace, this faux peace, then what happens is you're not really intimate. The marriage doesn't get stronger. You don't trust your mate more. You, you doubt them more. You doubt that they would respond rightly if you came. So we have these, they're like landmines that sort of lay around a house. And you don't talk about them, you tiptoe around them, and you're not developing the kind of relationship that I would want for all of you, and that frankly, that God wants for you. And so we, we need his help on this. So here's what the Bible says. Amos asks it as a question. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Well, the answer is no. Let's say I want to go this way, and you say, well, I want to go this way, and then we both say, well, what the heck, I'm going to go the way I want. Then the further we walk, the more we're not together. And that's true of marriages, of parents with children. I mean, it's just true across the board. Uh, and so those are the kind of conflicts where at some point you've got to come to an agreement on whether we're going to, which, who's, going to who's going to win out here. Now let me give you a, a, like a real-life situation out of my own life and out of Shirley's, Shirley's and my life together. So with the birth of our son at about five years into our marriage, uh, first it was the happiest thing that ever happened, and then inside her, something I didn't know, and, and it took me, frankly, uh, a few years to figure out, something emerged as far as what her, her dream of how her life was going to work. We were always going to be Christians together, and except that once we had children, in her mind, it was now time to settle down, get out of this, this pretend uh, church stuff, uh, meaning making your money as a ministry, and get a real job and be real Christians who go to church. And, there, and she never wanted to be uninvolved or unchristian, but she wanted us to get a real job. Now, the problem was that, was, and that was her dream, and it had been her dream since she was about 13 or 14 years old. So now my deal at that time, though I, I hadn't known it much before that, was I had just fallen in love with Jesus and the ministry, and I felt God had called me into the ministry. So I felt like I had God on my side, and she felt like she had God's promise on her side. And so the two of us clashed because one of us wasn't going to get our way. I thought it was so important that we just escalated in fighting and then fighting and then fighting more. What it evolved to eventually was, I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, nine months, something like that after John is born, our first son. Uh, it, it occurs to me that if you, uh, re you really can't stay in the ministry if you hate your wife. Some of you might want to take notes. <laughs> can't stay in ministry if you hate your wife. Huh, new thought. So since she wasn't budging, it, and, and by the way, it, it took me a while to realize that sometimes God gives you a hard-headed spouse because you need it. Are you with me on this? 
You seem a little like you're not sure of what I'm talking about. My, the only person more hard-headed than my wife is our daughter. And boy, did she drag us through the mud. And then she got married. And the only person in our extended family more hard-headed than my daughter is her husband. Yes, it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. She'll call on the phone screaming, I'm so frustrated. Do you know who I married? Do you know who I married? Yeah, you married Vincent. Oh, I married myself. Now, God has a way, but see, here's what I didn't know when I was going through this. Sometimes God needs to put someone with some backbone so that you will make the changes you don't even know you need to make for your roots to go deeper into the Lord and for you to realize that you can love even when you can't have your own way. What I came to see was that that was God's goodness to me. What I felt like it was at the time was God either not liking me or God had let the devil in my wife and I don't know where she went. You know, all those kinds of things. So what I want you to see in this example is in the short term, both of us couldn't win. One of us was going to have to say, I give up. And the only reason I said I give up was because I got so angry about the whole thing, I, I disqualified myself from the very thing I thought I wanted, which was ministry. So I got out and I worked for her dad and it's a whole other story that we won't tell today. I'll just say it this way. When God gets ready to change the other person, once you've changed enough, when God gets ready to change the other person, that's easy for him. That's not hard for God. But first of all, he's got to change you. So what I, what I want you to see is there's no peace until the underlying issue is resolved. And we began to know peace again when I relinquished what I thought was our dream, my dream for our life, and bought into her dream for our life, and we began doing life kind of like most of you probably do, except with only one baby, and uh, I, I just, I, it was a good time. Do you hear what I'm saying, though? You can't have peace if you don't handle the underlying, resolve the underlying issue. Now, why do I save that? Because sometimes it, there's some real clashing of wills to figure out what's on their side, what's on my side, and who's going to give in. Now, let me back up, because this is my, I, I don't know where I got this, but I'm just, we'll, we'll, get, we'll give God credit. I got a word for the singles in the crowd. I don't usually get a word for singles in the crowd. I'm a married guy. This is going to be so good. You guys ready? This is really good stuff. When you're single... And the person that you're dating begins to want something other than what you and God want. Let them go. Let them go. They're taking up space. You don't got to work it out. There's no promises of non-divorce. You don't even like this guy anymore. Kick him to the curb. They're taking the space of somebody who someday is going to be God's person for your life. So let them go. Isn't that great? See, I, I think, it, uh, you know, write that down. That, this, is, this is advice from heaven right here for all of you that are single. Do not conflict. You know, there's enough conflict in the world. You don't have to take it from somebody who doesn't want to do it God's way. All right. Look at this verse. If 
You are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Now let me tell you what that means. If you're in worship of God, God says, stop it. Go fix the broken relationship. Get to the bottom of it. Don't blame me for escaping from resolving the issues. The first job, the priority from God himself is go be reconciled, go resolve it, go, go fix it so there's peace and you are a person of peace. And, and I just, I, I so commend that to you. Number two, oh, let, let, so let's apply this before I go to number two, to your relationship with God. First of all, I don't know if you've thought about this, but every one of us are born in conflict with God. You say, how is that? Well, it's just a matter of time until what you want and what God wants for you begin to clash. This is called sin, by the way, in us. See, God is smarter, he's your creator, and he actually knows what will make you the happiest over the long run. And the thing that has caused separation between us and God is our sin. There is a conflict. And God recognized that we, he was going to have to resolve the core issue of sin for you and I to have a relationship with him. So he took the initiative to send his son from heaven, to come and live among us a perfect life and then die on a cross, not for his sins, but for your sins so that you would qualify to live in heaven forever as his child. God has made a step to resolve the core issue so we can be in relationship with him. Step number two, or, or principle number two that I'll give you about being in conflict, is we need to distinguish between a good fight and a bad fight. Distinguish between a good fight and a bad fight. Here's what the Bible says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now this is, so, I mean, we understand this, don't we? I mean, this is not hard to understand. When somebody comes at us with a big bunch of anger and you stay calm and you give a gentle answer, you can often divert but if you escalate while they're escalating, it's, it's all going to go bad. Don't we all understand this? I'm not really great at resisting the temptation to fight back. Are, are you with me on this? Am I just talking to myself or any of you have this problem? When somebody comes at me with a harshness or a sternness or it's my way or the highway, I kind of get bowed up on, on, you know, like, what? And so I kind of fire back in kind, which I have found over time almost never works. Are we all together on this? You, you, are you with me? So here's what I think about this. I think this is easy to understand and difficult to pull off. I think, it, that, I think that's how it works. But let me tell you how important it is. I didn't know this until about 10 years ago, and, and finally some research had come out. Let me read this to you. This is from uh, Les and Leslie Perot. 93% of couples who fight dirty. What do you mean by fight dirty? It means they don't stay on the issue. They start accusing you of bad motives, or, or you're just like your mother, which doesn't help. Or any of a number of things. You are, uh, and uh, you know, some couples I know can string curse words from here till whatever, which are usually not helpful at addressing the issue. 
Fighting dirty is when you make it personal, not let's solve the issue. 93% of couples who fight dirty will be divorced in 10 years. Who says? Researchers at the University of Utah. By the way, th this is just citing one study. This is now rather commonly understood across even the secular realm. Let me, give, let me say it another way. In fact, researchers can now predict with 94% accuracy. That means they can predict nine times out of 10 whether or not a couple will stay together based solely on how they fight. So this is really terribly important. If, in fact, it's important to resolve the issue, then it's critical that you learn how to fight fair or to actually want to resolve the issues that we're facing. It, it, it's just so important. You have, to, you have to get out of trying to win the argument to helping how are the two of us going to get there. And let me show you, the, the Bible gives us a way to, to go about this, and I think it's very helpful. Here's what it says, it's in Galatians 5. The entire law is fulfilled in one commandment. Now, what this saying is, the whole Bible is filled up if you just do this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. So now remember, now neighbor can apply to children, to parents, workmates, in any situation. But I just ask this question. Is your spouse your neighbor? Hmm. The answer is yes. You guys seem tentative on that one. Let's see, love my neighbor as myself, except for Shirley. Then you can just blast the heck out of her. No, I don't think that's what the Bible is trying to say. Now, what would the, how would that help? Here's how it would help. How would I, if we're having a, a discussion, how would I, if I really love her and I love us together, how would I behave so that we could resolve the issue? Well, I wouldn't start fighting dirty, and I would keep my tone down, and I would keep coming back to the issue. How can we, how can we win here? Or sometimes we're not both going to win, so maybe we can define it and who's going to lay down their life this time so that the rest of us, so that the, the marriage can go on together like, like we want it to. And I just so want this for you. Just ask yourself, okay, let's say it like Jesus said it another time. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Okay, so we're having this fight, and I want to get my point across, but I want to make sure she feels heard and I hear her. And sometimes I'll have to be the bigger person and let go of what I want so that we can stay together. But lovingly address until we can come to it. And by the way, if you get stuck, use, use Christian counselors. Uh, don't use pastors. We don't know enough about that. But talk to some Christian counselors. We have some good ones that we could refer you to. And then it goes on to say, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And that's how marriages blow up. They never figure out how to resolve the issue. And then they wind up just blowing the whole thing up. By the way, how does God fight with us on the issue of sin? It's interesting. He does not attack us. He does state what's true about us. You guys are full of pride and you want what you want and you're not as smart as me. But he doesn't just push that in our face only. He actually lays all that aside and he says, I'm going to send my son to die for. I'm going to assume responsibility for the sin that's in the way of you and I. 
And all you have to do is admit that you need your sins forgiven, that you've been running your own life. And if you do, we can be joined together. God's fighting fair is that he only takes full responsibility for sin and then invites you into his family. It's a wonderful thing. It's not about attacking. It's about addressing the issue and doing it in a way that builds both of us up and invites us into relationship. Okay, number three. Pride is our problem and humility is God's answer. Now, when I say pride is our problem, what I mean is, is that once the fight starts, we have a way of digging in in fact, uh, this is research, this, I, I pulled this off the internet. The research shows that when pride sets in, a partner will continue an argument 34% of the time, even if they know they're wrong or can't even remember what we're fighting about. One third of the time, once pride is in place, we dig in and it doesn't matter if we're wrong or can't remember what we're fighting about, we're not changing. Pride is what keeps us separated and in a difficult situation. It's what keeps us separated from God. But the Bible says that humility is God's solution. So I want, I want you to listen, listen to this verse. I, I love this verse. It says, God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. So who opposes the pride in you when you are uh, at war or in conflict with your spouse? Who opposes pride in you? Who? God. Now, now stop. Think, think about this. No, it's not God. It's my pig-headed wife that's opposing me. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you dig in in pride, God himself becomes your enemy. He begins to oppose your efforts. How can I get God on my team? Well, you have to, you know, you... you he, he, he responds well to humility. So the Bible says, and look, look at this, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now, I'm going to ask you a question again. Who is supposed to humble you? Who? See, this is, see, re, we don't often read it carefully. He actually says, you're responsible to humble you. Now, can God humble you? Yes, but by that time, you're in a real mess. Who, who, who should humble us once we discover we're pig-headed? i got to humble myself. And I know what you're thinking. But I'm not the one that's pig-headed. She's the one that's pig-headed. No. If you've got that attitude, you probably are fully bought into pride. And you've got to humble yourself. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait for circumstances. Don't wait for God to break you. You take responsibility for you and you humble yourself. Now, but who do you humble to? Look at it very carefully again. It's very, very subtle. Humble yourselves, therefore, under, under who? Under God. Well, I'm confused now. I thought I was supposed to humble myself to this pig-headed wife that's not behaving the way I want her to. You're not laughing. I don't know if... Am I too serious or am I just missing it? I don't know what's going on here. Help me read the room. No, I don't, hum I don't humble myself to her first. I humble myself to God. And then from humbling myself to God, I can humble myself to her. It's to God first. Then with God's power, I can be humble and soft toward the one I want to live with. Remember, this is true in all relationships. 
And what's the promise if you do this? That he may lift you up in due time. Did you know that God can lift us out of the despair or brokenness? It doesn't matter how bad your, your marriage is messed up. He can fix it. He is just waiting on us to humble ourselves before him and then give him time to work on everybody else. Let me read what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. In the chapter by that title in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Here's what I want for you. I hope you can hear this. I have experienced the beauty of recognizing I could let go of my plan. I could, that would resolve the original conflict. I have learned somewhat the ability to not be always fighting dirty or calling names or blaming motives. By humbling myself under God and being what I would want if I were my spouse or my child, and from that, God has been freed to change everybody else in due time. By the way, you realize by us being here today that though I let go of being a pastor somewhere, surely, freely, without, she heard God's voice and she let go of her demand that we do it her way. But it took like a year or something. You understand that God can resurrect dead marriages. God can resurrect dead friendships. God can change people's hearts once we are humble before him. So I want to close with this verse. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is inviting all of you to humble yourself before God and to admit that we are full of pride sometimes and that we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want to do it your way. I want a life that's full. And I ask you to come into my life, forgive my sins, give me the power to begin to control my tongue and begin to change the despair that I live with. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer?